Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. Game week number 10. A lot of happenings this weekend. The old Manchester City Liverpool classic becoming kind of like RL Classico a little bit. Maybe not this year, but over the last couple of years, it's been kind of like our old firm derby. But before we get into that, the world football's most premier, should I say, award ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ballon d'Or ceremony. It's lost a little bit of credibility over the last couple of years. I think some passionate soccer fans have let their Messi-Ronaldo sides of them get the best of them. Um, but the Ballon d'Or ceremony happened yesterday. Benzema taking home the crown. Um, what were your thoughts overall on kind of how France football dealt with the rankings? Well, I think for the Ballon d'Or, there wasn't much controversy nobody thought anybody else other than Karim Benzema was winning it. He was the deserved winner. He was the best player on the planet for the last 12 months. There's no doubt about that. He won pretty much everything he could, La Liga, Champions League, and single-handedly brought his team Champions League. Scored, like, three hat-tricks in the knockout stage. (laughs) I mean, this dude was just absolutely ridiculous. He was top scorer in La Liga, top scorer in Champions League. He was the 100% deserved winner of the Ballon d'Or. But where the controversy did happen was in the Copa rankings. And the Copa winner was Gavi of Barcelona and of Spain. I still think only 17 or maybe is he 18 now. Nonetheless, ridiculously young, even for the Golden Boy Award. But there was definitely some controversy here because there were a lot of names that he beat out. Names like specifically Jude Bellingham and Jamal Musiala, who finished fourth and third, respectively. I thought it was going to be Bellingham. Personally, I thought it was going to be Bellingham. He's, I thought it was going to be Bellingham, I mean, too. I, I think, I don't know, Kamavinga, this is high for Kamavinga, considering mm-hmm. he arguably had the least amount of playing time of everybody on this list. Yeah, he. I don't think he was big enough of a contributor to his team in order to justify him finishing that high, not for lack of quality. Yeah, I mean, everybody on this certainly list just is, as good yeah. as anyone in, the, in that top five or anyone in the but, top ten, really. Like, Bukayo Saka, the year he had, like, arguably Arsenal's best player in the last year. Like, Florian Verts, arguably fire, uh, Leverkusen's best player. Like, it's just hard for me to believe that Kamavinga playing, like, 30 minutes of every league and Champions League game got second, you know? I I don't know. Musiala is very good and probably is deserving of three, but Jude Bellingham, not sure what he did to, to get bumped to four. He had a pretty spectacular year for Dortmund. I don't know. Maybe there was an injury in there somewhere. I'm not too up-to-date with uh, Dortmund's year, but I don't know. I, I feel like not many people would disagree with me in saying that Jude Bellingham probably didn't get the credit he deserved. Yeah, I think it's just the fact that Musiala and Bellingham have been so good this season to start out this mm-hmm. campaign. I mean, Bellingham scored in like four straight Champions League games from midfield, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like a box to box midfielder and he's scoring week in, week out. And Jamal Musiala has been one of Bayern's best players this season. So I think we're kind of forgetting, you know, last season in a way almost. But nonetheless, I think Gavi despite how good he is as a player i don't know if he's eclipsed any of the individual or team achievements of players like bellingham or musiala 
in the last you know 12 months or so personally i'd probably go with i'd say belling would just edge musiala just because i think musiala has always been very good but i think the start of this season is what's really pushed him up to be that high on the list i think for the past 12 months he's probably somewhere around like the six seven range for his performances like last season still very good but this season he's taken his game to a whole different level while bellingham has kind of been at this level for more consistently over the last 12 months i would probably agree with that but kevin Vinga just still surprised me a little bit it does surprise me a little bit but he was he's kind of like a real like impact player like late in these champions league ties when you know the teams around Madrid were playing against didn't have that kind of like midfield depth and you were able to bring on Kamavinga, who just absolutely bossed the midfield against, you know, these tired legs. But, you know, I don't know if the two spots worthy of a player who was making a big impact, you know, 75 minutes onwards coming off the bench. So I would agree with that. Anyways, we have some Premier League content to cover. Two games to spotlight this week. Um First one being uh, an Arsenal win, but really a Leeds masterclass. Arsenal won, Leeds nil. Lot of controversy outside of the uh, the goal. Lot lot of good performances from both sides. I this was a unique experience for me as an Arsenal fan this year because, especially against a team that you know has not been like super impressive they've been good i mean i guess i shouldn't say super impressive because i thought they were gonna get relegated and they're certainly not playing like a relegation (laughs) team um but they for basically the second half completely destroyed arsenal like this was and i'll pick out some players specifically um luis senestera was really really good like very 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 good he was very tough to handle on that right side, and that that was Tommy. No, that was Ben White. Um, yeah. on the left side, and he was having a lot of trouble with Luis Sinistera. So I give Sinistera some credit. Brendan Aronson, I had not seen a full ninety minutes of Brendan Aronson in a Leeds jersey yet, and he really, really impressed me. And I've always been a, you know, I'll date back to the July Fourth podcast. I was very pro Brendan Aronson when we talked about um yeah. starting eleven come the world cup in november um i didn't realize he was like developing this quickly i knew he was good i knew he was Mm -hmm. talented but i thought he just was a little inexperienced he's like he can't not be started he might be usa's best player right now yeah he's he he was his leads team so well yeah i mean especially under jesse marsh uh yeah, and going back to the July 4th podcast where we were talking about Brandon Aronson, he was a pretty big topic of conversation during that pod. And, you know, we had we had a back and forth where I didn't... You thought more highly of Brendan Aronson's defensive mm-hmm. uh, work rate. Uh, and that was kind of the big uh, argument between him and Gio Reyna. That's kind of why I favored Gio Reyna. I didn't think that, you know, his defensive work rate was as big a thing as I've come to see in the start of the Premier League uh for the first 10 games this year because i've i've tried to watch leads when i can because obviously you know american manager to you know yeah. american starting 11 players and brand aronson's work rate is ridiculous for a winger slash like cam i mean it is crazy how much he gets up and down the field and it's 
exactly how Leeds want to play, and it's exactly how he wants to play, so it fits him perfectly. I mean, Arsenal played... This is Arsenal's 10th game of the year. They played Liverpool. They played Spurs. They didn't... Ha- they played United. No team pressed him as hard as this. Not even close. No. Ar- Arsenal had a very successful press break against every single one of the nine teams they played so far. I can't remember. There were like maybe three or four instances when they had a clean press break against Leeds. Uh, and I'm not... A clean press break doesn't mean like they pass it around, they get forced into a long ball, and Jesus wins a 50-50. That's not a clean press break. Like, through the wingers, through the midfield, up to the front, leads back off, now we have possession in the final third. That's a clean press break. That happened mm-hmm. three or four times over 90 minutes. Maybe once in the second half. That Their press, not only leads this press, but after getting broken down multiple times, they said, this is how we're going to play. At halftime, they said, this is how we're going to play. Kept the intensity up. And should have been rewarded with th- one, maybe three points on su- on Sunday morning. That was an extremely impressive performance from Leeds. Probably one of their best performances of the season. Mm. And they had nothing to show for it because of un- being unfortunate. I mean, Patrick Bamford missed a penalty and he didn't get it saved. He missed the goal. Yeah. And that's like one of the most reliable goal scorers in recent history for Leeds. So, a lot of, lot of tough breaks for Leeds. but. As an Arsenal fan, you know, a win is a win, I guess. Yes, a, a win is a win. And, yeah, I was reading an athletic article that I think summed it up pretty well, uh, that usually when you when a team wins without playing well, people see it as, like, a sign of, like, resilience. Well, if they can get, you know, points when they, you know, don't play well, like, that's a sign of, like, a winning team. Mm. I don't think that was the case this time. As, you know, this article said, I think they really just got lucky. Because they should not have gotten three points out of this game. And it was in part due to some resilience. Like, yes, a lot of the mistakes or a lot of the chances that Leeds got that were of Arsenal's own making. I did think they were impressive in getting back and immediately closing down and making it, you know, as difficult of a scoring opportunity as possible for Leeds. But like you said, with like a missed penalty, I mean, that's just pure luck from Arsenal's point of view. And, you know, a couple of decisions going Arsenal's way. And Leeds definitely were pressing in that second half. They had a couple where, you know, it just ricocheted nicely. Aaron Ramsdale bailed us out a couple of times there. I was going to say, so, credit some of the Arsenal performances. Ramsdale was probably the yeah, match. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. aside from the fact that Gabriel almost, like, took two points out of Arsenal's pocket, he was very, very good. Yeah. Um, And he's usually the weakest link on the field like consistently the weakest link on the field he's fine but he's like this arsenal team has been amazing and he has been the weakest link he was pretty pretty good on on sunday I, i'll give him that and saliba had some issues uh, the handball was yeah very saliba. questionable saliba has first poor performance of the season it's as blunt as that i mean he had yeah. a really terrible giveaway that you know we were lucky to not concede from and obviously the handball was just you know a really really poor mistake yeah he's a young player and he's still you know rolls royce of a center back yeah but he had he had a poor game today and he he needed his the rest of his arsenal defense to pick up his scraps at times yes and it's tough to admit as an arsenal fan because (laughs) i his contribution as a second center back has been one of the focal points of this 27 points from 30 
available through 10 games of the season. Like, it's his defensive stability that has yeah. gotten us more than, you know, win, more than one win on occasions, you know? So it's tough to kind of, like, tell off Saliba and say, like, uh, <laughs> like today wasn't his yeah. day, but it really He's was. He's a fan favorite. Yes. Um, one of the things, just generally as a whole for Arsenal, not today, uh, not Sunday. I, I, I've noticed that Martin Odegaard, Captain Martin Odegaard, is always the first substitution. Always, he ne- he never sees the seventy fifth minute, unless they're losing. I I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe it's a fitness issue, or maybe he just works ridiculously hard, and he's not like he doesn't have that God given like endurance like Gol Conte and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's just he's a leader on the field. His he has incredible technical quality. He's a good defensive work rate. He does. He always has. I I don't know exactly why he's always the first guy to be pulled. Like I don't know. I I just do you agree with that or see any concern there? I don't think necessarily as highly as you do in terms of his defensive work rate. Like yes, he has good defensive work rate, but not quite as much as like the other attacking players you see like Gabriel Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus, who both have like really high defensive work rate. And yes, I think Odegaard has good defensive work rate in terms of like the team. Like he still like sits back and like does his defensive duties. But I think it also may just be a question of fitness. Obviously, like we're not seeing everything that Arteta sees. And with Fabio Vieira on the bench, you know, he can pretty much make a like for like substitution late in games if he just doesn't think that Odegaard you know, has the fitness. I mean, Fabio Vieira, he's slowly been, you know, getting into this Arsenal team, proving himself to the manager. You know, when it comes to, you know, the last quarter of an hour of a game, you know, it's very possible that Arteta just looks out on the field and says, listen, if we put in Vieira for Odegaard, you know, we're not losing anything in terms of the quality we're getting at this point in the game or in terms of what we need at this point in the game. And, you know, in addition, obviously, you know, you're getting fresh legs out there. So it's not something I'm reading into too much necessarily i mean obviously the other argument is odegaard is the captain on the field but i think that overall at the club right now it's not necessarily one person who's like a singular leader i think grant jock has been more of a leader now than he possibly ever was as arsenal captain and i think it's more that everyone in this arsenal 11 is buying into the same things and that all of them can, in a sense, be a leader and demand more from each other. So I don't necessarily, just because Odegaard has the armband and deservedly so, I don't necessarily think Arsenal are lacking leadership or drive on the field when he's not in, you know, on the pitch. That's a fair take. All right, game two of the games we'll be spotlighting this week. It's the big one. Manchester City versus Liverpool. It finished Liverpool 1, Manchester City 0. A huge, massive, monstrous win for the Reds at Anfield. Just again proving that Anfield is an absolute fortress, taking down arguably the greatest team of 2022. What are your 
initial knee-jerk thought? Uh, well, my initial thought is how desperately, desperately Liverpool needed a win like that to turn their season around. And especially the players, the key players who were involved in that win. And they are the two main players for Liverpool, which is Virgil van Dijk and Mohamed Salah. Salah mm-hmm. was a force to be reckoned with, and City were always having trouble dealing with him. He played... He was kind of shifting positions throughout the game. He kind of started almost like through the middle, like he was making more of like the central runs. And then kind of as the game went on, in a way he was kind of pulling out wide to attack Ake because Man City were kind of playing a back three. So there's a bit more space to exploit there. Mm-hmm. But Salah was definitely mayhem uh, on both through the middle and on the right-hand side. And it was only a matter of time before he got his goal. Early in the second half, I think five minutes in, he got clean through, and Ederson just got his fingertip on it to push it wide of the post. And eventually, he did get the breakthrough. I think, what, like 70th minute? Somewhere around there? Yeah, it's like 71st. But either way, it was definitely coming. But in the meantime, he needed Virgil van Dijk on the other end to stifle Holland, which... You know, some team was finally able to do. I mean, they did it in the Community Shield, to be fair to Liverpool. And they did it again here, expertly. Virgil van Dijk, obviously the center of a lot of criticism recently. He's kind of been... I feel like he's almost been the scapegoat for a lot of Liverpool's defensive woes. I mean, him and Trent Alexander. He hasn't been great. Yeah, he hasn't been great. But he was definitely much better today. And it wasn't, you know, because he was throwing himself around, making, you know, big sliding challenges, because that's never been Virgil van Dijk. Virgil van Dijk has always just been about calm, poise, and defensive positioning. And he's got himself in the right positions. There was a situation, like, late in the game where I think either De Bruyne or Cancelo had a cross into the box, and Holland was just waiting to pounce and put it into an empty net. But Van Dijk was there to cut out the cross and head over the crossbar. Uh, and yeah, Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez, I think they both deserve their share of credit for stifling Holland in this game. And they weren't, it's not like they didn't let Holland have any chances. I mean, it's inevitable that Holland is going to have a look or two. But mm-hmm. I think one of the misconceptions about Holland, because he scored so many goals, is that he's the most like clinical striker on the planet. And he is clinical. But what Holland does so well is get himself into high scoring you know probability positions he gets himself you know into the middle of the box where you know his where the many many players on city who can create can find him and he just has to you know redirect it into uh not virtually empty net but just steer it into one of the corners and they didn't allow holland to you know just pray in and around the six yard box like he does so often this season his chances were you know from in and around the D, from, you know, the corner of, like, a six-yard box and, like, a tough angle. He had, like, a header or two from there. So, he didn't really have a lot to work with. And I think that was the key to stopping Man City from scoring because clearly he is their main outlet. Yeah, I think that Virgil van Dijk, for me, was man of the match. I, I There were a couple like specific instances where Holland would have had it one of his trademark like you know sprint into the six and the ball's there to be tapped and Van Dyke kind of 
flicked on his, you know, Ballon d'Or candidate brain from a couple years ago and sniffed out every single one of those chances. Um, there was one that was played over the top to Cancelo on the right, and he hit like a full volley cross. And Van Dyke like looked behind him to Holland and like extended his neck to like flick the ball over the crossbar where where Holland would have would have tapped the ball in right behind him. It was a real defensive masterclass from Van Dyke by every sense of the word. Um Joe Gomez too at right back was very good. Um Well he was right center back. Milner right was center back. Right I thought back. he I thought he was who was playing right back? Oh Milner, that's right. Milner. Milner. Well Milner yeah. was, you know, irrelevant as only Milner could be. Um, but after watching during this game, before the, um, before the Salah goal, like Jota should have had two, Salah should have, like this had every right to be three nil Liverpool and it was one nothing Liverpool. Like, I, I don't know if you felt the same way, but like Nunez had a chances and like should have passed the uh, Salah on some, like, yeah. Nunez, by the way, was absolutely horrendous. And that's like yeah. I'm being going easy on him saying he was horrendous. He was dreadful. He didn't make one correct like thought process in the entire <laughs> game. He was so bad to the point where like Liverpool fans on Twitter in the moment of beating City were like, damn, <laughs> Nunez is terrible right now. Like <laughs> I don't even know where you go with him. Like, I guess he just needs to figure it out for himself because he, clearly he's talented. He just, like, I don't, like, I saw this tweet. It was really funny. It was, like, um, it was a picture of that screenshot where it's three on one and Nunez is, has, like, th- Salah open, like, right yeah. on the goal. And he's, like, mm-hmm. putting his arm up. And yeah. it was, like, uh, score three goals on semi pro on squad oh, with the Uruguayan. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> I was that like, was that hilarious. literally is what it is. That is exactly what I do. I'm like, I'm yeah. not passing to the Frenchman when I need to score with like a Senegalese player. It, it's very concerning uh, from a Liverpool perspective when you drop 80 million, especially with how little they've missed on their transfers in the last three years. Like, he just has not been the player they thought he was going to be. Clearly, because now Firmino has been forced into action as their actual number nine. So, I don't know. I don't know where you go from here with Nunez. I guess, you know, you take the win, and you don't really think about that stuff right now, and you deal with it later. But it's it's a something to think about because I, I don't know where he fits in this team right now. Yeah, you go back to that uh, uh, that solid moment. And at the time when I saw him, like, not pass that, when they went back to the replay, I counted – he had a six-second window of opportunity to play that ball to Salah, and Salah still would have been clean through. He, he took from a like shot from midfield, outside the bo- On a three-on-one, he, picked he up took the a ball. shot from outside the box. How <laughs> he picked up the ball at midfield. He picked up the ball at midfield and was able to take dribble all the way to the edge of the 18, and for the entire duration, still off Salah completely wide open <laughs> to play in for a breakaway with such a large margin of error for the pass. It's, it's mind-boggling. Really? concerning it's it's concerning is the word i would use because mm-hmm. it you need to be making better decisions than that as, as yeah. a professional footballer you just need mm-hmm. to but another player i do want to focus in on who didn't end up having uh an impact on the final result but definitely the balance of the play was bernardo silva because this is one of the most unique and versatile games i've ever seen from a player first of all you know 
what you he's doing what you expect from Bernal Silva. Just, you know, ridiculously good passing and dribbling. The way he dribbles is just so graceful. It's like watching, you know, a prime Zidane. Not that I really watch Zidane in his prime. I was not born yet. But from highlights, at least. But then he was tackling, like, a fucking, like, prime Roy Keane. And then he got, like, body slammed by Sala in the corner there. Like, Randy That was Orton. hilarious. That, <laughs> that was, like, was... A, like a TKO. How they didn't call crazy. that a foul. <laughs> How they didn't call that a foul was more mind-boggling than the fact that Nunez didn't pass to Sala there. I don't know what constitutes a foul if that doesn't. And the assistant was right there. Honestly, I don't even blame Klopp for getting sent off for yelling at the assistant for that as one. As soon as Sala went down, I was like, Klopp's getting sent off. Like, yeah. you could see him, like, in the corner of the screen, like, doing this. <laughs> I was like, that's it. Yeah. God. <laughs> and the ground he was covering in this game was, like, in goal contact. I sw- I, yeah. When I was watching his first half, I had no idea what position he was playing. And I think <laughs> in the commentary, Lee Dixon said, like, that exact same thing. It's like, can someone please tell me where Bernardo Silva <laughs> is playing in this game? Because he was, like, winning challenges in, like, in, like, the bottom left corner. And then, you know, counterattacking, like, almost in, like, a false nine position. It was ridiculous how much ground he covered. And, you know, I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter about the fact that he just, like, purely, like, hates Liverpool. That he's, like, yeah. so, in, like, embedded in this rivalry. Like, some of the tweets he's put out and stuff. I mean, it's great to see. I think he's kind of become, like, the embodiment of this new, like, Liverpool-Man City rivalry. And I think this is one of the more heated exchanges we've seen in games between these two because usually this matchup draws its energy off of like the quality between these two teams and mm-hmm. like and the occasion usually like these are two like title challenges just think back to last year in the 2-2 draw i mean these teams were separated by one point you know in mid-april like right mm-hmm. you know at the cusp of you know the title and this game i mean liverpool was 11th like obviously city liverpool is always going to be a really big game but in terms of you know end of season significance it had almost no end of season significance and i think it really just drew off of you know it drew off the crowd definitely i mean anfield was rocking and you'd expect no less but there was a lot of heated exchanges to which bernal silva was right in the middle of almost everyone <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. Bernal Silva was one of the headliners of this one. I, I um things I enjoyed about this game, certainly that Bernardo Silva, the whole that whole two minutes where like the tackle and then Klopp and then he like stood up to Van Dyke and then hid behind yeah. Holland. Like <laughs> behind he was Holland. he had a great two minutes there. <laughs> um But again, for me it was like Liverpool should have won this game by multiple goals. Like, I was jumping off the couch in, like, furious rage. By the way, I might, must I point out, what a privilege it is to be able to root against Man City because we're in a title race. I would just like to say, (laughs) I am more than grateful. More than grateful. I never, this was supposed to be like a 2027 thing. This is 2022. And now I'm sitting on the couch watching Man City Liverpool, <laughs> rooting for Liverpool because we need City to drop points to win the title. How how privileged are we, Ethan? How privileged? No, not in my life. <laughs> not in my lifetime have we had like a rooting interest in a Man City Liverpool matchup for this for Arsenal's sake. I mean this this was truly a new era. 
I, I was smiling for most of the time because I was like, this is amazing. I'm, I'm rooting for Mohamed Salah to score a goal for like the first time in forever. Like I didn't, unless they were playing like Spurs in the last like seven games of the season to make top four. Like yeah. that doesn't happen. Now it was, a, it was brilliant. Anyway. Yeah. Spur, Liverpool and going off of that. Yeah. I fully believe that Liverpool should have been winning for the majority of this game. And it's concerning, honestly. Salah had multiple chances. He had two chances, one 1v1 and one where he, like, cut in on his left from, like, 22 yards out and missed the post by, like, a couple feet. Like, prime Mohamed Salah, and by prime, I mean, like, 2020. <laughs> like, he, he has a hat trick in this game. Like, mm. we were praising Salah for getting the goal, but he had a bad performance. In in the scope of Mohamed Salah, he didn't have a great performance. Jota should have had a. Couple. He didn't have a great performance, you know, in terms of the finishing department. In terms yeah. of getting there, I thought he was. Yeah, yeah. Very, and very good. I think I'm not gonna. I don't even think that this performance was like broke him out of his funk this season. I I just think that he doesn't have his scoring touch this year. And if you give enough breakaways, Mohamed Salah is going to score. But like, he should have had a couple. Jota should have had a couple. Firmino maybe should have had a couple. Like. I don't know. I, 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 by the way, Harvey Elliott does nothing for me, personally. He didn't have a great game. He, he just, every time he goes out there, he just like, he's talented. He's like Phil Foden, but like when Phil Foden was 15. You know? I think for much he's of like, this game, there. I think for much of this game, he wasn't really being used in the right areas. He was kind of playing, Liverpool almost playing like a 4-2-4 with like Harvey Elliott as like a really wide like winger. And he's a bit more of a playmaker than, you know, a winger who's going to take guys on. And that's exactly what Salah did when Salah kind of came into a more, like, winger role. Because obviously for a lot of the game, he was playing through the middle. And then once Harvey Elliott sat a bit deeper, he was playing some more balls, you know, in behind to Salah. And that's where Liverpool had a bit more success. And I still believe in Harvey Elliott as a player. I just think in this game, he wasn't entirely utilized in the right way for a good portion of it. The final there was one nothing. City dropped four points behind Arsenal, which is just... We're not even going to get into how crazy that shit is. Um, Liverpool up to eighth. Again, not even going to get into how crazy that is. Getting three points and moving up to eighth for Liverpool. Um, but enough of game week 10. We move on to game week 11. Before we get into the game week 11 predictions, let's get into the worst team wins update. Huge, massive week for my team. I think this was, I didn't look back at previous weeks, but I have to believe that this was the lowest scoring week for your team so far this season because this was an absolute masterclass for worst team wins week. Not a single goal or assist for Brain's team. Jesus died for our top fans. I mean, that was mightily impressive. Obviously, it was a very hard feat to achieve up to this point in the season because Holland was just sitting there. You know, in the forward spot. <laughs> Stop giving me the shush. <laughs> um, my team didn't do too badly either this week. 34 points. Um, I think Saka, Saka's goal uh, contributed to that a bit. Uh, definitely Jose Saw, who I didn't even realize had a penalty save this mm -hmm. weekend. He's had a couple of those this season, which hasn't been great. But, but Brain's team definitely had a week to remember. And if not for a couple of uh, clean sheets from... Uh, Van Dyke and Trevor Chalaba, who all of a sudden is now like the highest point scoring defender on Braden's team. He, he wasn't be. even playing under Tuchel. <laughs> yeah, but if not for them, you know, this team 
could have been in the teens in terms of points this week. So Braden makes up eight points this week to cut into his deficit, which is now 64 points. I have 376 points total for this season, and Braden's team has 440. So still a lot of ground to make up for Braden. I'll, I said it last week, I'll say it again. For having a player on my team that might score 60 goals in the league this year, this is fine. I'm in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, not, let's not forget that like I might have the greatest player in the history of the Premier League on my team, and I'm within like <laughs> reaching distance. Like, I, I'm okay with this. Let's see what happens. We'll see what happens. But definitely uh, a big headline for my team is that Luis Diaz is going to be out for the next month or so. And, you know, he was starting to pick up a lot of points. So that could definitely prove to be good for my team. But that is all from the Worst Team Wins FPL update. All right, we got got some. I believe these are the the Queen makeup games, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe they're They're not makeup games. They're just normal. They're just normal midweek games. Either way. uh, Not everyone's playing midweek. So... Brings a little bit of a uh, twist to the, uh, you know, weighted average type deal to the goal picks. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but first game up, two United games this week. First, Manchester United host Tottenham Hotspur. Ethan, what do you got? So, for the past couple of weeks, United have kind of struggled to break down low blocks. Uh, you know, if you look at their previous games, like if you look at the Everton game, both of those goals in their 2-1 win came on, you know, fast breaks against Everton. Um, obviously the game before, 0-0 against Newcastle, no goals there. Newcastle, again, were a low block kind of team. They've been a very good defensive team. They've actually conceded the least amount of in the Premier League so far this season. But nonetheless, United failed to get any past them. And then the week prior... They did have three against Manchester City, but yeah, you know, let's let's be honest, they were garbage time goals. And the only one that wasn't in garbage time was courtesy of an absolute worldie from Anthony. So they didn't really have to break down defenses there. But all of this is just to say that they're gonna have a very difficult time breaking down Spurs' low block defense. I mean, Spurs right now are their absolute worst nightmare to play against because as we know, Spurs have perfected their craft of sitting back and counterattacking, which is kind of the way United like to play, but United haven't quite perfected that. And I don't think that's really the way Ten Hag wants to play. It's just kind of what he has to do with what he has right now. That's not really the style of play he wants to implement, while Antonio Conte, you know, has already implemented that style at Spurs. So I think Spurs' counterattack will definitely be too much to handle for United, despite the fact that United has been good defensively recently. Obviously, Varane and Martinez have established a good partnership. But I think that this one is going to end at 2-0 to Tottenham Hotspur. I, I, I don't know. I feel like Spurs have been particularly unimpressive recently. Just, like, obvi- like they just have played uninspiring soccer and won the whole season which is like i guess not inspiring soccer by definition but it's just like i don't know they've been unimpressive i feel like they've gotten i'm not gonna say lucky but they've gotten the benefit of the doubt on a lot of their scoring goals like they just taken a lot of their chances and you know that's a character trait of a team 
And if you take a lot of your chances, you know, you're bound to take a lot of your chances still in games following. But I don't know. They just look particularly unimpressive. They're getting wins, but I I don't think they're going to take three here. Um, It's a tough one because I've, I'm not really a believer in this United side. I never have. I just think that they're good at home, which got me the correct decision. Right, they did. How did we do last week with the picks? Did we say draw? I think I said, I said Newcastle will win. I think you said they draw. Okay. So I'm gonna say no. I think I said United would win because of the home form. So I'm gonna, I don't know, because they didn't look that good against Newcastle, and arguably they should have had a couple penalty calls, and that Ronaldo goal was was really confusing. I don't know if you saw that controversy, but that was really weird. Um. Oh yeah, I did. The uh, the one where Nick Pope put the ball down and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say one one. I'm gonna say uh I'm gonna say Bruno Fernandez penalty right on halftime, and then I'm no no. Uh, if Spurs go down, they're not scoring. I'm going to say Kane in the first 10 minutes. Bruno right before halftime with the penalty. And then finishes 1-1. Dry second half. That's what I'll say. 1-1. Chelsea host Man United at the weekend. Back-to-back top six games for Manchester United. What do you got? So, Chelsea are playing well at the moment. I mean, they are flying under grandfather i really didn't think that i had faith that grandfather would you know get chelsea back to where they wanted to be i didn't think it happened this quickly but nonetheless united are still an ever-growing team under ten hog in terms of their defensive discipline i think that even though i have them conceding to the spurs it's just hard because spurs are a counter-attacking team so you know no matter how disciplined a team may be defensively when you're you know, defending a counterattack as lethal as Spurs, there's not really much you can do. But Chelsea aren't really a lethal counterattacking team. They're more of the team that likes to build up. But under Potter, their goals have been coming from everywhere, just as they had under Tuchel, which still proves that they're lacking any potent, you know, finishers that can really kill a game or take over in these mm-hmm. big six matchups. So I don't see either of these teams scoring in this matchup. I have no no. I don't think that United will be able to break down Chelsea's, you know, structured defense and I don't think Chelsea will be able to do the same for United. So I have a stalemate here. I I think Chelsea are gonna get it done, to be honest. They they look pretty good. Um it's tough to predict this one because I think Man United's obviously Man United's form going into this one is directly determined on how they do midweek if they pull one if they pull a really nice performance and get a like a two nothing three one win midweek then they'll roll into this game very confident um and might get a point might take three but if they fall victim to Conte's trap lose two nothing like you said in like a uninspiring performance and then roll into Chelsea who are playing really well right now, like I can't see them taking any points. So it's 
going off of the performance that I predicted midweek, 1-1, one, one, uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say 2-0 Chelsea. They've just been really good. They're going to control a lot of the ball, a lot of the possession. Um, but Bobby Yang, as much as I didn't think he'd do well, has finished a lot of his chances at a very high percentage. He hasn't been that great in the build-up or anything, but he has, when he's gotten his chances, he scored them, and I think he might be the difference on Sunday, I believe. I'm going to say 2-0 two, two Chelsea. That's what I'll go with. All right. And on to the goal picks. Would you like to pick or block first? Uh, I believe I blocked first last time, so I'll make my picks first go this time it. around. So obviously this is, as you mentioned before, this is an interesting type of game week where I think, I think most of the teams actually do play midweek. It's just because Arsenal and uh, Man City were postponed, so they're not playing mm-hmm. midweek. Uh, why was that? It was postponed because of the Queen, right? But then why wouldn't they be playing this week? I it think, was supposed to happen now. Uh, well, Arsenal PSV is Thursday, so maybe they yeah rescheduled because of that. I'm not entirely sure. But. Either way, the point is no Arsenal or City midweek. So it becomes, you know, an interesting thing if you, you know, want to pick those players. Obviously, it'd favor you to pick someone who's playing twice this week rather than once. Hmm. Or does it? That's the fun of it. So, uh... <laughs> My first pick this week is going to be Diogo Jota. Um, I think Liverpool are finally starting to find some form. Like we said, that performance against Man City was really, really big, not just in terms of the table, but in terms of getting some momentum back. And they have a couple favorable matchups uh, over the next seven days. I think they play, well, I'm looking at it now. They play West Ham midweek, and then they're away at very at Stumbling Forest this weekend. So definitely plenty of opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely plenty of opportunity for goals. No Luis Diaz, obviously. And just the fact if they don't have Luis Diaz, I have to believe that Jota is going to get some serious minutes because the only way Jota doesn't play is if they play a front three or Firmino, Nunez, and Salah. And I don't think you can really play either Firmino or Nunez on the wings. So I think kind of Jota kinda has to fit into this somewhere. So I think he will play, and I think he will score goals. So he's my first pick. And my second pick is Erling Holland. I thought because he only plays once this week, it may be able to slip him by you. Uh, it doesn't really matter that he's only playing once this week. He could probably score more goals than the rest of the picks combined. So I figured this may be a good chance to, if I was ever to have him in a week, this might be it. So... I'm pulling him as my second pick. And my third pick, Alexander Mitrovic. Um, just a really good scorer this season. He's clearly prove, proven himself that this season is the season where he establishes himself as a you know, clinical Premier League striker. He also has a couple of nice matchups this week. He plays Aston Villa on Thursday and Leeds on Sunday. Although Leeds have been playing better, still leaking goals. And... I think Mitrovic gets, you know, a couple of goals in those two games. So, who can I have? Uh, you can have two of them. Who can't you I cannot, have? You cannot have Holland. I'm sick and tired of that motherfucker. Oh you can't have <laughs> Seriously. You could play zero games this week, and I'm still picking him because he could, he could pull one from the bench. I don't know. 
You can I have really Jota. There was one time. <laughs> yeah, you can have Jota and you can have um Mitrovic. Mitrovic is a good pick, by the way. Um, he's bound to get in the goals at some point. Um, he hasn't gotten one in a while, so that's a good pick. Um, did I pick him though? Mind games. That's the question. All right, so who's my uh, replacement? Your replacement is. I uh, did not have one ready. You texted me yesterday to have one ready, and I don't have one ready. Good job, Brayden. Uh, you will have the starting striker for... Actually, I should probably take an Arsenal defending player, to be honest, but that doesn't really make any sense. Um, So I have to give you somebody who has two game weeks. Let's go with... I don't want to go past the dog, uh... Form the striker. Is it Surge? Surge? Sam Surge? Still? I think it's Solanke. Solanke. Dominic Solanke. That's not bad, right? Okay, my turn. Two game weeks. Um... Start with the more favorable ones. I'm gonna go with John Lucas Kamaka again. I he's impressed me. Um, couple favorable matches this week. Uh, I uh, maybe I think one of them is Liverpool. Actually, it's not so favorable, but um, yeah, Liverpool at Anfield, maybe not so favorable. But I liked West Ham, Bournemouth. I think he's gonna get a goal there. Uh, at home. So, John Lucas Kamak is my first one. Second one is Gabriel Martinelli. He only has one game this week. So, I'm hoping I can slip with Mayu. Southampton at the weekend. Um, he's just looked very, very good recently. So, I'm going to hope that I can grab him and he can grab a goal for me. And the third one is Mohamed Salah. Um, I'm thinking that he has maybe found some goal-scoring confidence. Uh, he's a very talented player. So I'm hoping that he gets me goals. Ethan's doing a lot of eye rolls, so <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to throw me off I or don't something. Have, but I don't have ahead. a good poker face. You cannot have <laughs> Muhammad Salah. <laughs> you can't have the other two, however. Okay, I'll take. I gotta get better with that. <laughs> luckily, luckily, Salah was your last pick. If that was the first one, then it would have been very awkward for the rest <laughs> of the goal picks. <laughs> all right, I can't. I can't um, get all three. I can't remember the last time I got all three. Anyway, all right, hit me up with someone. Yeah. I, you can give me Surge, I guess, or uh, Slanky <laughs> if you want, because I shouldn't uh, be favorited going first. But well, since I have my picks ready, because oh, okay. I am, uh, you're way more prepared than I am. Yeah. Uh, you can have Brennan Johnson from uh, Nottingham Forest. Appreciate it. All right, <laughs> not too bad this week. I uh, I can't slip my good one by you. Who are the other ones you blocked? I. Uh, Firmino and Son. So I did two Liverpool attackers. I thought yeah. that you'd go with one of them. Yeah, you were right. Okay, for our closing segment, you know it. You love it. It's Ethan versus Twitter. And today's Ethan versus Twitter has a little bit of a theme because the idiots of Twitter were out in force yesterday because of the Ballon d'Or rankings. Um, and I had the privilege of just going through all of them and picking out my favorite. Not as crazy as I thought they were going to be. Still, the Messi-Ronaldo fanboys kind of 
yeah, <laughs> had their way. Um, but without any further ado, for the people that don't know Ethan versus Twitter, here's how this works. I I scoured Twitter for some of the most controversial tweets. This week's theme was the Ballon d'Or. Uh, I have mixed up some actual tweets from Twitter and written my own personal tweets that I made to look like terrible Twitter takes. And I'm going to read them off to Ethan and see if he can choose which ones are real and which ones I came up with. Ethan is ready. I am ready. Let's do it. Bro, if Benzema wins the Ballon d'Or this year, Giroud should have won it years ago. Yeah, I can I can see that one being real because Giroud's like a very underage striker in our generation. Obviously, he's kind of won everything. He's won Champions League, Europa League, World Cup. I I could I could see somebody having that take. Obviously, it's a terrible take, but I could see some like <laughs> extreme, some like extreme Twitter fans who think they're being like super. <laughs> like niche and like picking like Giroud to win Ballon d'Or like they have like this immense like ball knowledge by picking Giroud as like one of like the best players on the planet so (laughs) I I could see that one being real I think it's real (laughs) it is fake oh god damn it (laughs) not even Twitter could say Giroud should win the Ballon d'Or for Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi not even Twitter (laughs) round two over one, Nathan, by the way. Round two. The Messi-Ronaldo era is winding up, and the game is better for it. Winding up? <laughs> As in, like, I guess winding down. Okay. Is the way I meant it. Or Twitter meant it. <laughs> <laughs> See, now it's hard to judge, because now this wording is, you know, it's inhibiting the the tweet itself in terms of determining whether it's from Twitter or from you. So I fuck around with the diction sometimes. <laughs> I fuck around with the grammar. I gotta make it look, re- look realistic. Um, I don't know. I feel like I could, I could see this one being from Twitter. Not necessarily because, like, obviously everyone wishes that, you know, Messi-Ronaldo era lasted longer or, you know, is still going. But the fact, maybe some people just want you know, closure maybe in a sense. Like they don't want Messi and Ronaldo to be playing and not being like at the very peak of their powers. I think that's could be what this, you know, supposed Twitter user is meaning to say. So I'm gonna go Twitter again and hope I'm not going over two. You got this one. The nice. Messi slash Ronaldo era is winding <laughs> up and the game is better for it is a real tweet. Um <laughs> if he meant winding down, I assume that's what he meant. This is one of the all-time bad Twitter takes. Round three. Benzema got carried by Vinicius and Courtois through the Champions League and somehow takes the Ballon d'Or over Mane. I can't anymore. See, that, that, that's a tough one because it's so simple in how like you know wrong it is. Like, it would have been so easy for you to just type that up, like, oh, okay, it wasn't Benzema, it was Vinicius and Gortois. 
but it's also as easy for you to type it up as some dumbass on Twitter. So <laughs> I guess I'm doing a really my job. Tough one to judge. Uh, yeah, you're all, you're making these one. You're making it hard for me. Uh, honestly, this one's fifty-fifty for me. I'm gonna guess it was you. I don't know. I feel like in these Twitter in these Ethan versus Twitter segments, I'm trying to like figure out like your style of tweet that you that you make. I feel like it somewhat aligns with that. So, using this completely blind logic, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. I'm saying that's a fake tweet. That is a fake tweet. I came up with that. Yes. <laughs> uh yeah. This one was bad. It could have. This one was probably my. If it's I a realistic money, bad one. That though. that this one was probably my best one. I was most proud of this one because this one, you know, some. I don't know, Barcelona fan could have said this very, yeah. very easily. Because both Vinicius and Courtois were fantastic in the Champions League for Real Madrid during that run, but obviously, you know, they paled in comparison to Benzema. Last one. I have one real and one fake tweet left. Which one shall I choose? And which one should I not say? All right, let's see. I'm going to go with this. Messi going from winning the Ballon d'Or to not being nominated to winning it again is going to be funny. I'm going to say that's you again. Because I know you're a Messi fan. So maybe you just want to, <laughs> want to throw, throw in one, you know, that's not shaving Messi for not finishing in, you know, the top 30. So, you know, plain and simple, that one's from you. This is a real tweet oh. <laughs> from SudXN underscore on Twitter who said, Messi going from winning the Ballon d'Or to not being nominated to winning it again is going to be funny. And guess what? He might. No, nah, he's not going to. He's not. He's not. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. If um, he wins the World Cup. It's, uh, is that part of the Ballon d'Or year? I guess it is. It is. Although they're trying to make it less of a part. Like uh, team trophies. But it will always, you know, be a big factor. Next year, it's Bukayo Saka anyway, so. <laughs> Going from 8th in Copa ranking to Ballon d'Or. Anyways, that is all from the Two Manuel podcast this week. Match week 10 done. Match week 11, I guess, point five coming up. I don't even know how to describe these, like, half midweek games. Anyway. I think it's 11 and 12. <laughs> It's like eleven point eight and twelve because they're missing we're missing like two matchups, but we'll see you guys later. Peace.